Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ed Search on Air podcast. I'm Tony Wan. When I was in middle school, I used to go with my parents to Costco. You know that big warehouse store that sells big boxes of goods. With what money I had, I'd buy boxes of snacks like Airheads and Slim Jims, but they were not for me though. I'd go back to school and resell them individually during recess. Now you could say that that was my first taste of thinking entrepreneurially in school, even if not all the teachers appreciated my particular kind of innovative thinking. These days, districts across the country are setting up labs and teams to think about innovation on a broader and probably more serious note. To rethink everything from professional development and instructional design to class schedules and school culture. They're doing this in service of creating meaningful opportunities for teachers and students to thrive. One of the people leading this charge is Sujata Bhatt. She is the managing partner of innovation at Boston Public Schools, which serves about 56,000 students across 125 schools. We recently sat down with Sujata to learn more about what exactly a district innovation job entails and what it takes to get people to not only adopt an innovator's mindset. But also execute on new ideas. That's coming right up. This episode of the Ed Surge On Air podcast is brought to you by the Ed Surge webinar: How Micro Credentials Can Boost Professional Learning. Pursue focused professional learning at your own pace and on your own schedule. To learn more, visit edsurge.com/e/webinars and click register now. All right, hello, Ed Surge Live viewers. We are back on. My name is Tony Wan, and I'm the managing editor at Ed Surge. Uh, and across from me is Sujata Bhatt. She is the managing partner of innovation at Boston Public Schools. Um, first question: What does that mean? <laughs> That's a title that I might see more as a consult at a consulting firm, hmm. at a bank. What does that title mean <laughs> at a, a public school district? Isn't it, it worked right? It made you think twice because usually people know, like they see a superintendent, assistant superintendent, your eyes glaze over. Mm-hmm. Um, so managing partner of innovation is a uh, newly created role. I re- report directly to the superintendent. Um, we sort of think about it in terms of John Seeley Brown's theories of innovation, where like 80% of the organization is making the trains run on time, 15% is thinking strategy about a year out, and then 5% is thinking innovation, which is the longer horizon. Mm-hmm. So that's my role to manage that five percent, and my team is that five percent. Mm-hmm. And right. So, and how does that actually manifest or get realized to impact, you know, students, teachers, and learners? Like, how do, how do you how do you connect? Great question. So, innovation is <laughs> one of our three core values: equity, coherence, and innovation. As the district, and we mm-hmm. think of innovation as building capacity to design new solutions um, at every level of the system, from classrooms to school level to central office. So my job is to figure out ways to grow that capacity, mm-hmm. and really, it's about growing adults so that they can grow children, um, growing design capacity. If if really the future is everyone is slightly entrepreneurial and very designer focused, mm-hmm. how do we grow that in our um, workforce? So we do things like really help build that vision. Um, Boston is the heart of the innovation economy, one of the hearts of the innovation economy in the United States. Forty percent of the jobs in Massachusetts are innovation economy related. Um, we're also the oldest school district in the system. Um, Boston Latin was founded um, in the 1600s. Harvard College was founded as a place for Boston Latin kids to go after they finished with our system. So we're a city with a deep belief in tradition. And an 
economy driven by innovation. Give me a sense How do we of the, do that of together? The size uh, and scale of that you're working at, yeah, of Boston. Public so we're 56,000 students, uh, mm -hmm. about 8,000 employees, 125 schools. Mm -hmm. And so when you embark on a project or one of the innovation initiatives, mm -hmm. is your approach to kind of implement that across the board immediately, or do you start with one, you know, a pilot here, a pilot there, and then you kind of yeah. go off from there? How does, how, do, how, does that, how does that play out? So vision sort of is to like spread this vision. Like people need to be aware that, wait, this is what is driving our workforce. This is what the economy of the future looks like. These are the technological changes impacting. So that's mm -hmm. system-wide conversations. Mm -hmm. um, though how each school redesigns itself in relationship to those changing forces mm -hmm. has to be local. Mm -hmm. um, we are always opting people in. It's never a top-down initiative because, again, capacity needs to be built locally. Mm -hmm. So as schools are interested in doing something different, we help partner them with the right opportunities. We provide technical expertise to help them grow to where they want to become. Can you give, can you give me a couple of examples of, yeah. The, of working yeah, with a school, for happened. example? Yeah, like yeah. what's changed since? So, for example, I'll give you two different schools. Mm -hmm. One is um, one of our high schools called Another Course to College. Um, the team, there's a team of teachers there who came together with um, Hale, which is a reservation, like a nature preserve outside of Boston. And they were all interested in some sort of expeditionary learning experience for kids. Okay. The kind you get in independent schools for like 55000 a semester, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we designed it, we put them together and they've designed something where the entire 11th grade class of this school goes out to Hale Reservation every single day for the winter semester, um, in the snow, everything. Um, they do math at school, but everything else is done out at the reservation. And so we take that and say, what can we learn from this experience so we can scale this to other schools and other partner organizations? So maybe there's an 11th grade semester at the Museum of Fine Arts or at the ballet, but sort of what can we invest in this experience and then from that build out a playbook or a mechanism mm -hmm. so it can go elsewhere. Um, that's one example. There's another one where we're working with a team from MIT to help rethink what STEAM could look like in a, one of our 6 through 12 schools. Mm -hmm. um, so the school itself is open admission, uh, focusing on personalized learning, really building advisory and teacher-student relationships. And then the team from MIT was thinking about how is science curriculum needing to change to make it both hands-on? Mm -hmm. MIT's motto is men sent manos, so mind and hands. How do we bring that active learning into a high school curriculum? Mm -hmm. So they're partnering together to redesign high school. Right. And how do you, as you think about way, um, how these projects unfold and implement them, how do you think about um, this issue of, uh, of equi equitable access to these kinds of new experiences, these new model, instructional models that frankly, might be very different from what, you know, the parents of these kids might have gone through. So, and perhaps the second part is like, what kinds of communications do you need to help people kind of bring people on board? Um, you know, great questions, change management, as we were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, so equity is fundamental to what we do. Like what we call this is like our district's North Star is to focus on the opportunity achievement gaps. But what we see the Office of Innovation working on is an innovation opportunity gap, which goes beyond what we're thinking about in terms of test scores and um, basic curriculum and basic opportunities. Okay. It's like access to the innovation economy. 
like access to sustaining jobs of the future. How, that's equity. How can all of our kids have access to the kinds of jobs that are not going to be pushed out by AI and all the other forces that we're talking about here at this conference? Mm -hmm. um, and then how can we redesign our schools so that a maximum number of kids get access to those opportunities, not just a gifted strand or not just the kids who are already at grade level. Mm -hmm. So the innovation is not seen as the icing on the cake, but yeah. it's baked into the cake. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the equity piece. Yeah. Um, in terms of communication, it's an ongoing conversation. I mean, this is not how school is thought of in many places. Right. So we mm -hmm. put bright spots out there, right? We have other people tell stories. We write a blog for Ed Week every six weeks, mm -hmm. and mostly we bring schools and teachers and principals in as writers of that blog. So the more people share oh. their experiences, both positive and you know, places where they have not been as successful, the more the conversation becomes owned locally rather mm -hmm. than in the Office of Innovation. I'm shocked you don't write for Ed Surge. <laughs> Ed Week. Invite us, we would love to. <laughs> would love to have some students write for you. Mm -hmm. um, so what is the kind of the, your vision or Boston Public Schools vision of the future that you're preparing students for? Big question. Yeah. <laughs> so the vision is that is, is it is it always college? Is I mean, there's a phrase no. college and career readiness. I mean, but is college part of that equation? It is college, career, and life readiness. The city of Boston has just come together. The Catholic schools, the private, the independent, not the independent. Sorry, the the Catholic schools and the charter schools and the district were convened by the this organization called the Boston Opportunity Agenda, and they created a college, career, and life defini readiness definition for students. Mm -hmm. It's really simple, which is its elegance. Like, mm -hmm. You need to be able to set a vision, you need to be able to set a course, to change course, to grow competence, and to collaborate with others. Mm -hmm. And we've all agreed that that's what we're aiming for, mm -hmm. but it's broad enough that each school can arrive at its design of that in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you put student agency at the heart of the definition, mm -hmm. then you equip students to deal with a changing world yeah. rather than a static world. Yeah. And on that note of student agency, and I think that, you know, I think it's knowing, you know, I haven't, haven't talked to you in, in the past, um, you know, I think that you working as in the Office of, Inno of, of Innovation is pretty fitting given where, 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 you, where you came from, right? When <laughs> we you. last talked about, uh, when, when we first talked, maybe, I don't know, five, I don't know how long ago, five or six years ago, yeah. you had a pretty interesting idea for, for a school out in Los Angeles. Um, My baby. <laughs> yeah. Tell, that was the incubator yeah, school. Yeah. Um, can you tell, tell, let's just uh, introduce our, our, you know, our viewers a little bit about that sure. and kind of, kind of the, the genesis or kind of your vision. Of that the, school. Of the, of the incubator school. So the incubator school was something that came from about 10 years of teaching and experimentation mm -hmm. of trying to meet the needs of kids. Mm -hmm. And over time I came to understand what drives kids forward is when they feel like they're driving. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if they're first graders or if they're 12th graders or 16th graders, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I was working with kids they were most excited when they were doing entrepreneurial projects like mm -hmm. lemonade stands or, or um, you know, reselling things. Like that was something that made them very, very interested in becoming an adult, 
Yeah, because... I used to uh, take candy from from, <laughs> from Costco boxes and resell. And resell them, you know, resell them at school. Totally right. Uh, Every high school was, has was, that. Is it entrepreneurial? Um, I think so. I don't think I don't think teachers really liked it, but uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think that, that you were finding a need that wasn't met, mm-hmm. right? Cafeteria food was not serving the needs of <laughs> the kids in the school, and you were filling it. We really needed the Slim Jims. So there was a big demand for Slim Jims. There you go. I'm sure it's local <laughs> in every place. It would have been like Takis at the, yeah. the school that I was at. Mm-hmm. But um, so I was trying to put these different impulses together in designing a school that could help middle schoolers, because mm-hmm. that's where we drop out where kids drop out, or at least where they drop interest in school. Mm-hmm. Like the Gallup poll shows them kind of student curiosity and interest in school is like really high up until fifth grade, and mm-hmm. then it starts to go off the cliff. Right. So how could we redesign middle school where kids could take that entrepreneurial energy mm-hmm. and actually put it into practice? So mm-hmm. this school in eighth grade, they, were, they would launch startups within school. They would start a business? Yes. They following paperwork, or how, how serious no, is this I, well, business? They were different kinds of things. Like the most interesting ones were like platform plays, right? Mm-hmm. They wanted to create a, a school supply platform mm-hmm. that could broker like almost Etsy meets school supply, right? Mm-hmm. Where kids could create products and other kids would purchase them and it could be bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them were like, we had a kid who was just all about scooters. And so he was modding scooters. Like he was trying to build, I don't know anything about scooters, but something that Uh could let him do a certain kind of jump, right? Mm -hmm. And that school, we didn't have printers in the classroom, we had 3D printers. So Mm -hmm. kids would like, they'd get like those $50 drones for Christmas, and then they could spend some time in school to mod their drones and Mm -hmm. then print out the parts and play around with things. As a kid, it sounds great. Or as someone who was not a kid not too long ago, that sounds great. But what was the reception from kind of the, the parents or, or the community to such kind of like a such Different. a radically new idea of schooling? I think people self-selected. Like if you thought it was crazy, you oh. wouldn't send your kid there, right? <laughs> if this was intriguing to you, and you know, LA, this was in Silicon Beach, so mm-hmm. it was a lot of entrepreneurial entrepreneurial parents there. Mm-hmm. But we were really careful to make sure it was integrated. Mm-hmm. So you know, entrepreneurial parents could be parents who are running gardening services, who mm-hmm. are first-generation immigrants, mm-hmm. or tamale services, right? Or mm-hmm. they could be entrepreneurial in the sense that they work for Google. Right. And it was fun to bring those cultures together mm-hmm. and say, wait, this is all the same impulse, right? That's mm-hmm. an equity issue. Why do we label one entrepreneurial and the other one, we've got to regulate it yeah. and get them off the streets. Is it still around? Still Sadly, around? no. It oh. closed this June. It survived for four years. Mm-hmm. I think it really changed the landscape of what was possible. Mm-hmm. We built a playbook. Okay. And uh, so all of our learnings, everything was open source. Mm-hmm. We, we have everything out there that people can access. Mm-hmm. What was, um, you know, I imagine that it closed for various reasons, but what was one of the challenges and what, what takeaways would you take from the incubator school <laughs> into your current work? Uh, Great question. At, in Boston on the other coast. So do you want challenges and then takeaways? Yeah, challenges. So takeaways. challenges are, like, EdCode is a complex beast, right? Mm-hmm. It exists to protect kids um, and districts, but then it can also stymie innovation. So one of the things we came up against was if you're 12 and you're trying to launch a business during school hours, we were in violation of child labor laws. Well, even if you work for yourself as a kid? Yes. Okay. So. 
this is, you know, f for some reason it's okay for 12-year-olds to be picking cotton or tobacco in South Carolina, mm -hmm. but if you were launching your own platform business, that mm -hmm. was in violation of child labor laws. So there were always things okay. that we had to mm -hmm. figure out how to design around, or, or there are places where you couldn't design against that, right? Mm -hmm. It's law. Mm -hmm. um, so takeaways from that into my current position is if you give people ownership to design something, it's not like I want to replicate that school, yeah. but like, hey, this is possible. Mm -hmm. Take your ideas, your community, bring your kids into your design process, mm -hmm. and you can do something. Right. Um, it looks like we have an, a text question from the audience. Oh. If you want to just read it. Sure, you want me yeah, to read it? Yeah. Um, what is your favorite innovation slash advance you've implemented in a low-performing school? So I wouldn't call what I do implementation because I want capacity building. And I think the favorite thing is, is there's a school, a couple of schools actually, that went to a school redesign institute. And they went through a design thinking process and this was their first exposure to design thinking. And they loved it so much that they decided to design that design thinking session for their students. Mm. So their students could participate in the redesign of the school. Mm -hmm. So what does it take, you know, uh, on, on this topic of school redesign, um, there's a lot of momentum, I think, driven in part by organizations like XQ trying to, you know, seed some, give some money away to help uh, encourage people to redesign, rethink or redesign high school. Mm -hmm. um, it looks great. I mean, it sounds, you know, it's very inspirational, but what does it take to actually implement and put, you know, a, a, a radically new school design into place and to you know, make it happen? <laughs> Open the doors on day one. So new school versus redesign, redesign of an existing, existing school, school are very different. Okay. Right? So are you asking about the latter? I'm talking about the, the latter, yeah. Okay. Taking something that's existing and transforming the culture, the processes. You so know. there's no day one. Every day is day one. It's an ongoing process. Um, you, like the innovation adoption curve, or you, feel, you know Rogers' innovation adoption curve, you move along that. Mm -hmm. You start with your innovators and your early adopters. The way we think of it is like giving teams of people access to redesign thinking opportunities so they become engines of innovation that build excitement and catalyze change in their schools. Mm -hmm. And so what it takes is local ownership. I really mm -hmm. believe that central office facilitating, resourcing, technical service providing, mm -hmm. like, like a consultant, coming back to your first question, right? Oh, That's okay. the title, right? Mm -hmm. um, rather than saying, here's the plan, mm -hmm. now you implement this plan, right. and we're gonna hold you accountable. Mm -hmm. uh, and to what extent um, does, um, do te you know, technology tools or services help assist in either the creation or implementation of these you know, redesign plans? Of the plans or the learning experience of the schools themselves? The learning experience design? I would say the, which is more specific? I would say the learning, the design of the learning experience. Yeah. Yeah, let's go with that. I personally think it's absolutely necessary, but if you start with tech, people are sometimes kind of feel like that's not where they want to start. Mm. So that's, again, to me, each of these is a, is a, learner agency process. Mm -hmm. So you bring in tech as a solution when the need arises, mm -hmm. rather than start from the design of the tech. 
and there may be schools that want to start there that say, hey, mm -hmm. you know, give us a summit or give us an alt school because we know we want to put our design energy into relationships rather than into content building. Mm -hmm. But there may be other schools that say we want to start in a different place. Right. Uh, I think in your previous role, um, you've also worked pretty closely with um, you know, various tools and services provided by tech startups. Mm -hmm. um, how do you design, you know, how do you bring that into a bigger, you know, into, into a public school district like Boston? How do you create the necessary ecosystem so that you can have a, you know, a, a productive and also constructive dialogue between, you know, tech service providers mm -hmm. and what your teachers and students in the classrooms need? It's a great question. Um, there's so much out there. How do you curate it? Um, I mean, EdSurge is helpful that way, like those banks of tools that you guys had built out. Yes. You know, because otherwise, but then there's yeah, something new every long. day. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Um, I don't ever want to reinvent, reinvent the wheel, but what I would love is a way, because I have more opportunities than I know what to do with, like people mm -hmm. are saying, hey, try this product, try that product. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a firm believer in first designing the learning experience and the culture, mm -hmm. because the product is not going to change anything. So at this point, I'm largely product agnostic, mm -hmm. though I would say when you're starting off on redesign, yeah. go with the free, why pay, and until you really understand what it is you need and where you need that support. Mm -hmm. um, but if there would be like a, almost like a Tinder or something like that where Ooh. schools match make with opportunities, mm -hmm. right? That would be Maybe a dream. Maybe not the best metaphor, but I think I get what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> the equivalent. <laughs> we swipe right on this one. We swipe left on that. Okay. Cool. Uh, and about the conference, uh, we're at ASU GSV Summit. This is a conference that I think I would say cater more, you know, more to the caters more to the uh, industry folks, the entrepreneurs, the financiers, the bankers, the money folks. Um, and I know that in recent years they've tried to broaden it up and bring more people from school, um, school districts, universities, um, you know, to mingle with these folks. But what are what, what does an educator or what does someone in your position kind of get out of a very industry focused conference like this one? That's a great question. Um, we get to see the future, right? And is it always exciting and dazzling and good, or mm, does it concern you? <laughs> what is mostly, I mean, I'm an optimist, so I mm -hmm. kind of go for the, the dazzling things. But like yesterday, I was at a session, which mm -hmm. was blew my mind. Um, it was Paul Kim from Stanford talking about how kids ask 40,000 questions between the age of two and five, which are you a parent? Huh. No, I'm not. Okay, when you're a parent, you'll realize, yes, okay. that, that's why that <laughs> onslaught happened, right? Uh -huh. um, and then it kind of dies off because school takes that out of you. So mm -hmm. he's essentially taking question complexity, he's scaled it into five levels of complexity, kind of like the depth of knowledge that we look at mm -hmm. to assess tasks and, and things, um, and uses AI and deep learning. He's thinking of deep learning as a service. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of questioning can be farmed out to Alexa or Siri or, or a classroom product or yeah. something. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of cool way to think about formative assessment mm -hmm. through kids' abilities to frame questions and mm -hmm. complex questions. So even if you look at a text and kids are reading the text, mm -hmm. you can assess them on the complexity of the question that they ask about the text, okay. which is comprehension, Great. right? Mm -hmm. I would never have thought of that without mm -hmm. going to his panel. Yeah, and are there other other kinds of like specific things you'll take away and bring back to your your, your team, your innovation team at Boston? 
possibilities. Yep, definitely. Like we're we're really excited by VR and thinking hard about how to scale VR mm -hmm. in a public district, how to scale VR as a creativity tool. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've been working with Oculus a little bit along that. Um, so these kinds of things mm -hmm. will all go straight back into yeah. BPS. Awesome, great. Well, thank you so much for thank taking you. time this afternoon to join us, uh, Sujata. Thank you for listening to this week's EdSurge on Air podcast. I'm Tony Wan, Managing Editor at EdSurge, and the more of these that I do, the more I'm getting hooked. If you haven't already, check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts for other episodes of EdSurge on Air. This episode was produced by me with an assist from Jeff Young, and we'll be back next week for more conversations on the future of education. See you then.